Kate, are you doing all right there? I'm reading about the Brave Companions, actually. Oh. I was interested to see if this, this Septry had a name, and it does not. It's just, he's a member of Septonaut, is the one I was Googling to figure out where they were, because um, Septonaut is the, the probably the most colorful character in this chapter. He's, he sticks with you, that, that he name. He sure does. But it says that he was, uh, this is a, a foraging party that his men raped and reaved the local populace and murdered uh, several Septons of a remote village Septry. His group is eventually defeated by the Brotherhood Without Banners. Um, so it was just it was just a, a small contingent, like thirty of the of the brave companions who went out to find food from Heron Hall, presumably, and they were slaughtered by the Brotherhood once they got there. What a bright and pleasant way to begin our show! It is, yeah. and it it begins beautifully with Arya's first line, which is like the coolest opening line to any chapter. Perhaps, which is the man on the roof was the first to die. I like, I like how how like twisted Arya is getting. We have enough time between chapters where I forget how messed up her her sweet little mind is becoming. She's just like she's why she's like kill him, kill him, kill all of them. She's like vi- visualizing and and observing these deaths. She can't participate because she's eight. Or whatever, and they won't let her. She's like, hey, she's like, twelve, she, okay. She's she's quote unquote twelve, but uh, she's she's watching this battle and she's enjoying it. Kill can them we all. can we agree? Like, I don't Kill think that she's all. disturbed by this. I think she's really into it. No, she wants in. Yeah, she does. She does want in. What's happening in front of Arya is is kind of a, a battle where we're not necessarily split between two parties. We're just kind of watching the bloody members get smacked with barbed arrows, and we're just sitting back with popcorn, like, hey, mm-hmm. this is fun. Can I just love that? Arya is not only watching and enjoying, but she's taking notes about <laughs> arrows. About arrows, she's just like, "Oh, arrows! They're 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 pretty good. Like I, I love sword fights and stuff, but uh, but arrows can you know sl- slam right through breastplates and steel and stuff. That's that's pretty she's cool. Like, I can see that this is useful. I need to yeah. learn this later. I know mm-hmm. she's like making notes, like how should how should I be a more effective killer? Yes, yeah. arrows arrows kill people very good. Arrows I'm going to learn to shoot a bow. And they, they find Septonut, who is this this man who loves to murder little boys, and he's very oh. ashamed of it. Um, but he, he can't stop himself. It's just like he's he's such a good uh symbol for what the bloody mummers are all about, the brave companions. And they are just a bunch of really messed up individuals. And Septonut um is tried and hanged. And uh, he's a disgusting uh, jerk. His line was so creepy at the very end of the chapter when they were rounding all of these these folks up and he was still alive and sort of explaining himself. He was just like, the boys, the sweet boys. And I'm yeah. just like, oh, man, oh, you're in gross. the right profession right now in Westeros, you creep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got chills, yeah. but he very rightly was hanged. Yeah, they all were. They they were like, well, we'll, we'll capture the live ones and we'll give them a trial or whatever and they did but they they were all found guilty and they all hanged uh, in this tree there was a satisfying chunk of swordplay and battle in this chapter i was pleasantly yes. surprised it's nice to see the the lemon cloak you know going down the hill with all the other men charging toward uh, this septry that was holding all of the bloody mummers it's fun also because during the battle an arrow goes like through the window into the sept and you can just see smoke coming from it and eventually mm-hmm. the sept like burns down like throughout the whole battle there's like more and more smoke more and more fire and then all of a sudden, like, the roof caves in, and you're just like, yep, it's done. And simultaneously, all of these mummers have been killed. Which is symbolic in a way, too, because you have uh, Roller, who is the Lord of Light, right? And mm-hmm. here you have Beric Dondarrion and his Brotherhood Without Banners, and they obviously subscribe to this religion, and they set a sept on fire uh, <laughs> that would clearly uh, subscribe to a different kind of religion. And yet, and yet, at dinner, Lord Beric is willing to permit uh, or willing to kind of keep down with all the Raylor stuff. Yeah, he's like, well, well, it's their, it's their place. We might as well relax on it a little bit. Yeah. What does is, what is Thoros say? He said, the, the Lord of Light will be all right if we miss a few prayers. Yeah, like, I should I would know. know. Yeah, I would know, yeah. okay. <laughs> we'll be cool. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, hmm. You get this very vivid description of lord Beric too he looks rough he's got mm-hmm. a pit for an eye the side of his skull is caved in 
he has a giant like bruise on his neck from where he was hanged. And then you find out that he's died fully six times. Six. And mm-hmm. Relor keeps bringing him back. Um, and Thoros keeps bringing him back. And he doesn't seem super excited that he's alive either. He's just like, yeah, I, I am so tired of being resurrected. I don't remember anything about when I was originally alive. He's this weird, shambling version of a person. And it's it reminds me a lot of uh, Khal Drogo. When he was oh. resurrected and he was just, he mm. was this, this mere like shadow of himself and it was way worse. Like he was a drooling cucumber. Yeah. Um, but there's something, there's something similar about the way that Thoros is bringing back Lord Beric over and over again. And that he has, he's just sort of a shadow of his former self. The brotherhood keeps telling him, reminding him of who he was before. So he says, he says at some point, he was like, so-and-so told me that your dad was really honorable. So that's cool. Um, but like, that's, I feel like that's the brotherhood's job at some point is like, whenever they bring Beric back, they got to like remind him of all the stuff that he's forgotten. Cause there, right. there's always going to be holes in his memory when he comes back. Um, and it's, it's messed up. It's That's interesting. To think about. I like it. I wonder if it's because like his soul is being replaced by something else that mm-hmm. he's forgotten, or if it's just the experience of like brain death of having no oxygen to the brain from being dead for whatever. You know, ah, I think there's yeah. like a more scientific because there is that like that he's or- organically losing his memories versus some kind of a ill-fitted magical destiny with us. Yeah, I like the idea that it's magic though too. But I mean, I think if you have a traumatic event like that, or if you're if your head is caved in, you might forget some stuff. Right. Or if the mountain gets you through the eye with a dirk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It might yeah. hit the affect the memory centers of the brain. And he fought, he fought a manticore. Those two as well. Here's and the mark the manticore made at Rushing Falls. That's like one sentence. I was like, where's Rushing Falls? And I didn't know we had manticores. <laughs> of course. <laughs> this is all new information. You know, the interesting thing, it, it is all new information, Kate. And Thoros, um, you know, says, there's a line here where he says it's getting harder. Um, to bring Beric Dondarrion back every time. And he, in fact, says, here, here's where I speculate. He says, um, a seventh death might mean the end to both of us. And I'm wondering if, in fact, Thoros is putting some of himself into Beric to bring him back because it's it's taking this... It, Thoros says as much that it's taking this energy out of him or whatever that, you know, it might mean an end to both of us if we did, you know, a seventh time. So I'm wondering if it's not like a sharing of like the life force that's also involved here. It could be. Kate made a great point earlier comparing it to Cal Drogo and remember uh, Miri Masnur's line of only death may pay for life. Mm-hmm. And so there could be something to Thoros and your point, Eric, is he losing a bit of himself every time that he is resurrecting somebody like uh, Beric Dondarrion? Because remember – Miri is from the East as well, and we know how popular this religion is over there. So there could be a very strong tie uh, between the two. And I think that uh, it was George kind of laying the groundwork early on and just giving you a little bit of a taste of this. And now, you know, having spent time with characters like Danny in the East, we know how popular the Lord of Light is. And, and now he's showing his face yet again. Um, we've seen it with Melisandre, we've seen it with Stannis, and now Beric Dondarrion and Thoros of Mir are very much subscribed to this religion. And, and I wonder why. Like, I really wonder where this all came from when they were out yeah. sort of chasing the mountain down at the instruction of uh, Ned Stark originally. And what happened along the way that caused them to really subscribe to this religion? I I don't know what it is. Yeah. I mean, I know now it's just like they, they do it because it works, right? I mean, you're able to bring somebody back to life. I would see that and probably join up with that religion too. Was Thoros not a red priest um, beforehand though? Yeah. He, no, you're right there. But what would cause all of them to just say, okay, we're going to go with the religion that Thoros is a part of. Right. You know, he's just one person in this large contingent of People. Thoros himself, uh, I believe it was said in the last Arya chapter, Thoros himself changed. Thoros himself was, yeah, he was a red priest, but he didn't really believe until after like certain events that 
gave him right. new faith in himself. He's definitely transformed to a more hearty person yeah. than he was previously, than the, the Thoros that we've been told about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of just getting this quick, short Arya chapter that clearly wasn't in the show? Uh, you know, the the battle between Beric and the Hound happens very quickly. Uh, and then not too long thereafter, Arya runs off and is captured. Uh, there's clearly a bit of time here, more time uh, that she spends with the Brotherhood before she inevitably ends up with the Hound. So I, I think it's to provide a little bit more insight into the Brotherhood and what they're all about. And I think that's showcased in the fight against the Bloody Mummers. But you know, just kind of getting this deeper insight, how do you guys like it? Do you not like it? I, I definitely like the Brotherhood without banners more than I like the Bloody Mummers. So yes. I was <laughs> you're able to you're able to root you're able to root for them. You like them more because you see them defeat these terrible people like uh not not specifically Biter, but uh the other guys that were there and just hearing what they've done, that they still use trials. I mean basically everything you see in this chapter helps win Gendry over. Um That's true. which is why he de- he decides to join them. It's like he um he is the voice of us as well. We're just like, I mean, I think he's just tired, you know, or he's done, you know, looking for places that he can't really be a part of, um, that won't welcome him like these people will. And he's able to find like a use for himself and all that. But, but in addition, I mean, he cites specifically the fact that they tried all of the people that they hanged, um, and specifically even Sandor Clegane and the fact that they let him go and he even shows up. I was not expecting the hound to show right. up and not and not take Arya with him because I was like using the show to influence me, but he just shows up to like piss them off and ask for his gold back. <laughs> and um, Gendry, um, the, these these guys, there's something with this brotherhood that is uh, attractive. They're they're they seem to be a I don't know a good group that functions well together. <laughs> Let's just say that about they're them. They're like Robin Hood's merry men. Mm. They're all getting along with each other, and mm-hmm. they've got their leader, but he's still like one of the guys. Yeah. And as far as Gendry's situation, I don't think it hurt that Beric Dondarrion was in the midst of a battle brandishing this flaming brand above his head, like, ah! And then eventually when all was done, he puts it back into his scabbard and extinguishes the flame and becomes this person that we are able to learn so much about in this chapter. And I just think that, uh, you know, this not being in the show, one, we, we don't know Beric Dondarrion. Show watchers don't know Beric Dondarrion as well as they should because George wrote him into a pretty fascinating character. And yeah. uh, for two, there was just a lot more weight on the religious aspect of this company, which I felt was such an important part of this chapter for us to learn about how serious it is and for us to learn about how much these grown men all believe in what's happening. I think that's why the, the conversationing about Beric Dondarrion's resurrections lasted so long. I think that's probably why we were stressed so much through the mouth of Thoros himself that he himself is not doing the healing, that he is only the vessel, that he's he's the person that is just putting the prayer through. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious as to whether or not there are sufferings that he's facing personally, because I haven't seen it and we haven't been given any complaints. We haven't, Arya hasn't seen him become a lesser of a person other than just becoming dirtier and more road weary. Right. So I'm, I'm curious as to how it actually works because plenty of men at their hands, whether they be bloody mummers or et cetera, or people that they're just defending themselves from have died via the flame. But what constitutes trading a life for death and vice versa? Mm-hmm. It's so hard because what they're doing is so ragtag at the moment. So it, 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 where this chapter gives you so much more information into a less known thing while giving you more backstory on some characters and while bringing the hound in and creating some humor and some more trouble there. Uh, honestly, I think it leaves a lot more unanswered than it did before. But at the same time, I think you have Thoros who we look at as being a relatively good guy, right? He used to, uh, drink King Robert under the table. There's all these great, uh, <laughs> little nuggets of information about him, mm-hmm. but generally he's a good guy from, yeah. From everything that we know. We like all of these people. We do. Now, if you contrast him with somebody like Melisandre, there's a lot of questions surrounding not only just her as a character, but the Lord of Light. And I think that if you look at what Thoros has been able to do, almost contrasts her as a, as a character, right? She's birthed this shadow baby, right? Mm-hmm. That we this, this thing of darkness that we see, but yet Thoros breathes this fire this this light into 
Beric. He mentions it the first time that mm-hmm. that he did this, and yeah. it's 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 almost like the two different uh, gods that Melisandre talks about. Like she's more representative of the darkness, whereas he's more representative of the light. And and I wonder if that's just two different sides of the same religion, or are they two different things? completely that but that's interesting i guess the shadow baby is more darkness than light and in, in her defense though the shadow is born of the light so oh right 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 light gives birth to the shadow right i mean she does she does speak more of the shadowy parts of light if we could simplify it into a yeah, sense yeah she, she's kind of a darker character <laughs> than Thoros. you know i feel almost silly speaking about it and i i don't know you know i just don't know yeah i wish i knew yeah. more i wish i were more I, me too but I, I it's just interesting to have two characters that are you believe in thoros and what he does so much more than you believe in somebody like melisandre and what she does Mm-hmm. Well, I, if anything, and this is just another lesson of context that we have been passed on from George R. R. Martin through A Song of Ice and Fire, that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover to simplify it. And uh, again, this is a great example of that. Yeah. Speaking of Melisandre and her role in the TV show, obviously she comes to visit the Brotherhood uh, right. without banners uh, to take Gendry away. But we learn in this chapter, somebody already brought this up, that Gendry actually decides that he wants to stay with the Brotherhood, that that's what he wants to do. And mm-hmm. I think when we were going through the the show last year, one of the things we brought up was the difference in that she takes Gendry uh, along with her uh, back to Dragonstone, whereas now here in the book, we realize that he's going to be staying, at least for the time being, yeah. with the Brotherhood. Arya has two very sweet, sad passages in this chapter. Yeah. One of them is she is she's listening to Thoros and Beric describe his various resurrections. And she's like, hey, can you resurrect somebody who doesn't have a head? Maybe? <laughs> and Thoros, Thoros is like, he understands immediately what she's after. And he's like, well, I don't do it. You know, the Lord of I, I never intended to resurrect Beric. I just meant to like send him on his way. And then he, he Give woke up again kiss. and, and the, the Lord of Light decided that he was going to be, uh, alive again six more times and really didn't have anything to do with me. And Arya's like, I know that means no, you could have just said no. And then the second time is when they're talking about ransoming her back to Rob. And she's like, I don't think he's going to want me. Like, why? She's like, she's like, oh, because I'm gross. Oh, and nails dirty. are dirty. And I have hard feet and I can't sew. And it's like the saddest thing in the world. It's just yeah. like she doesn't feel like she's valuable to Rob because she's not a lady. And I'm like, oh, oh, Arya, you're so sad. I also, they right after this, they go into a scene where... Tom Seven Strings starts playing the reigns of Castamere. Yeah. yeah. And I you have you get lyrics, which I'd never heard before. It's that that melody that you always hear in the show that is like, mm-hmm. ah, it's it's worse than almost worse than like seeing someone get murdered for me. It's like you see you hear the reigns of Castamere start up and you're like, oh shit, something is going down. When it played over the defamation of ice and two swords last year, I was so pissed off. I was oh just my God. like, was so good. These bastards. I didn't know much about house rain so i decided based on these lyrics it says and who are you the proud lord said that i must bow so low only a cat of a different coat that's all the truth i know in a coat of gold or a coat of red a lion still has claws so i went and i looked at house rain i did some reading mm. and their their sigil is a red lion that looks a lot like the lannister lion actually yep. <laughs> um and so this is cat of a different color <laughs> this is what happened to house rain is that um, they had they joined with House Tarbeck for a rebellion that was quashed, and Tywin destroyed the the castle. They, he destroyed Castamere, and they all went and hid underground. And he diverted a river to flood their like sub basements and drowned <sighs> all of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, wow! <laughs> what a nice guy that Holy Tywin is. Crap. It's just, it's always fascinated me that somebody's dad, somebody we know's dad did this. Like, there's this, (laughs) there's this beautiful. But we don't know him personally. I mean, no, no, no. no. Well, I feel like we do. We're reading about him. Like, this is a song that is, it's a pop hit. It's a number one pop hit. It's certainly big in the realm right now. Very ugly, very dark. Number one on iTunes. Yeah, Yeah, very dark. But um, at the same time, it's still recent. You know, you think of these legends being sung about, but this one happened within the last. 
you know, 30 years or so. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a recent, it's a recent uh, hit, a it's, recent it's, song. Definitely interesting placement of this song. We saw in a in a previous chapter with Jamie um, when he was talking with Roose Bolton. I believe the rains were mentioned, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah, intentionally, I believe on Jamie's part. I think right? he was humming them. Something happened. It was along the lines of, "Do you remember this house?" And and he's yeah, like, exactly. oh, "I don't know if I do." And he's like, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> because uh, they're so not funny. there anymore. <laughs> we yeah. are the rains weeped over their halls in a rushing torrent of flood, and they all died. Mm-hmm. And my dad did that. But the fact that Arya is talking about getting back to her family, back to her mother and her brother, whether or not her brother is going to want her or not, uh, or her mother is going to want her or not, if she only knew the pain of reading these Catalan chapters and how much (laughs) she actually actually does. She wouldn't want anything to do with her mother. (laughs) She wouldn't be wanting to go back to Riveron. She'd be like, take me somewhere else. (laughs) Well, I guess it's just as well. We know that... um, circumstances occur that Arya doesn't get to River Run. Just that it was interesting placement um, oh. for the song in this chapter. Heavy-handed, don't you think? Knowing that she is off to River Run and the Reigns of Castamere have made an appearance. We know the words. It's clearly, as we said, it's not an uncommon song in the uh, number one world of, of Westeros, but uh, it, to me it's almost more along the lines of a, of a dirge, right? It, it's oh, yeah. not like a happy song, and you know maybe the Lannisters play it at their get-togethers. You know that's uh, so somber, actually. Wasn't Tom Seven Strings just singing songs about rain because it was raining? <laughs> like, wasn't it? He also sang the, the day my Sears. wife got wet. Yeah, something. Uh, Lord Hart wrote out on a rainy day. <laughs> yeah, uh, the mother's tears, and of course the ring of rains of Castamere. What other songs about rain for rainy days? I like that. Listen, I like. But that. George specifically calls out the lyrics. Yeah. to this song. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there's no doubt in my mind. It's intentional. He knows his audience. So do the theories now that Tom Seven Strings is in league with the Lannisters and the Freys come? <laughs> is he just trying to warn Arya? No, I guess it's just a good song. <laughs> it's pretty catchy. The hook brings you back so eric you were surprised the hound returned in this chapter i was it's just like what's he doing there he's starting shit he's trying to get his gold back but there's no way he would actually succeed because this side has these guys have people who can come back from the dead there's no way he's getting his gold back but what what interested me the most was the inflection or the reflection afterwards that after they sent him off i think it was lem um who said uh that he actually just he had nowhere to go like, well, we probably haven't seen the last of him because he can't go back to the king. We took all of his gold and he, like the hound will not be able to find, he has nothing left. He won't be able to find, you know, anyone that he has allegiance to around these parts and he's alone. He's utterly alone. And I think that they recognize that, which is weird because they they certainly don't want him eating with them or anywhere around them, but he has nowhere better to be than to just kind of giving them trouble and giving them hell exactly where he is right now. Yeah. Do you think that he came back for Arya? Like, no, I, mean, I, I don't, I don't really think just that, came back for his gold. I, I think he came back for his gold. Now what he decides to do now that he knows that he's not getting it is completely different. Um, course of action. One could argue that the fact that he's not getting back his gold is the whole reason why he doesn't have a problem kidnapping Arya and oh, trying to for ransom. ransom her. Right. I like how the first thing they ask him, they're like, hey, are you drunk? <laughs> you just, you just <laughs> like, just stormed up in here, not on a horse, just basically walked up like, hey, where's my gold? And, he, and they're like, are you drunk? And he's like, I can't even afford wine because you took all of my money. What did you guys think about the line when uh, Beric Dondarrion says that Clegane would kill us all gladly, but not in our sleep? Is he saying that the Hound has a certain level of uh, honor. honor to him? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out the two guards were not actually dead. They were just, uh, at least one of them was sleeping, right? Snoozing. Yeah. They had the well, snooze button. They're like, ah, we already fought the battle. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's just like Sandor is not as bad a guy as he says he is, and the brothers are not as good, as bad guys as they say they are. So everybody wins. Everybody in this chapter is likable. Except the ones that have been killed. Yeah, they were terrible. And Pudding Foot. You got to get down on Pudding Foot for allowing the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the hound just to walk by. Uh, he was standing sentry. <laughs> I, I have something here for you guys. What is it? It's a new gift. Okay. Mm. It's uh, 50, 50 leagues just south of the wall. Oh, okay. You know, I thought about that. The good good Queen Alison or whatever who uh-huh. went to the, the wall. She was like, wow, they're so brave. Let's double the gift. Can you imagine living inside the, the space that was like south of the of the original gift? And you're like, oh, we're the new gift? Really? 
We live here. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Allie. Thanks, Appreciate Allie. It. Thanks, Queen Allie. I mean, I guess they're they're at the whims of the of whatever the king and queen want to do with their land, but they're like, oh, great, yeah. okay, so wildlings are gonna come sack our villages now. That's cool. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks for oh, that. Yeah. What a, what a difference of time it would have been to live in the age of a a a well armed and honorable and well suited night right? watch. How cool would right? that have been to know that you have this this armament of of I mean hardy men north of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, that's oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and like. Not without incident, you know, there were still um, random, you know, villages getting wildlings in them, but but not as common, not as common at all when the wall was that well staffed. And you weren't completely out of danger, but then again, you never are. Like, these would have been some nice places to live, kind of. And this is where our chapter is based. We found ourselves yet again in another chapter with Brandon Stark. I sort of felt like this is also a slash Hodor chapter. Since there was so much Hodoring. <laughs> there was a lot of Hodoring. Throughout the entire chapter, he was, he was, I mean, not only was he carrying Bran, but I thought more than often, he had more dialogue than usual. And he was having <laughs> trouble crossing the water a little bit more than usual. Just a little bit more Hodoring than uh, I thought that we were used to. So that was nice and fun. But I wanted to to read this passage about this gift and this new gift because I thought it was fascinating. And that does a pretty good job to build the differences between their time and our time now. Jojen's asking Brand as they're walking. He says, who holds this land? Brand says, the Night's Watch, he answered. This is the gift, the new gift, and north of that, Brandon's gift. Maester Lewin had taught him the history. Brandon the Builder gave all the land south of the wall to the Black Brothers to a distance of 25 leagues for their... For their sustenance and support. He was proud that he still remembered that part. Some maesters say that it was some other Brandon, not the Builder, but it's still Brandon's gift. Thousands of years later, good Queen Alessand visited the wall on her dragon, Silverwing. So imagine, she's just hanging out. Okay, I'm going to visit the wall on my dragon. <laughs> I'm going to go check out the wall. Silverwing. There was probably a big like docking port for her dragon, like a, yeah. a helipad, but like I'm a gonna dragon take pad. one skin of water, because that's all I'll need for the journey. Uh, <laughs> and she thought the Night's Watch was so brave that she had the old king double the size of their lands to 50 leagues. So that was the new gift. He waved a hand. Here, all this. Now, when reading this, we get filled with this with this great sense of wonder, right? She's flying in on her dragon, and oh, I'm going to expand your your lands double on either side of the wall. Sounds wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. I can't help but to read this and think of our current state in A Song of Ice and Fire and be a little bit less mesmerized and think that maybe this was just a lot of political stuff that was happening back then. What do you guys think? Hmm. Right? That's the thing. You you hear these stories, especially from Bran and Old Nan and Jojen and, and Mira, and it's the story version. I've I've talked about this before. How excited I am that like Samuel the Slayer will be remembered for his exactly because yeah. he, <laughs> he killed a, an other. But it's it you don't you'll be remembered for his bravery because that's what's going to make the stories. But he's a coward, and so you hear the story. It's like here's three sentences about good Queen Alicent riding in on her dragon and bestowing the gift on the Night's Watch because they are so brave. Right. It is known. Like I seriously doubt that's all there was to it. Huh. I seriously doubt it. Good Queen Alicent. Maybe she was good because she gave the gift, but maybe she was a total jerk to like people when she was with them face to face. Maybe she know? totally wanted to uphouse people. <laughs> up and she could have been upset at the current warden of the north and been like, okay, well, I'm just gonna chip off a little bit of your lands on the top side. It could That's have been true. anything. Yeah. And it was most likely politics unless she was filled with so much love of what they were doing up north. So it's kind of a toss up. It just it's just, you know, the realness, the reality to to much of these legends and tales. Uh, if you if you don't think about it, if you don't give yourself a little bit of discipline and, and train train the eye and the ear, you can get fooled by the by the majesty. And I think that that does well for us to remember that, especially when we're reading such foretold events now in our story, mm-hmm. because these are the events that will quite possibly be sung about with even more luster than what's happened before. So buckle up, Brandon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Catchier songs than Reigns of Castamere, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The chord progressions will it's be good written. for appreciating where we are. Yeah. Arya and Bran aren't in that dissimilar of situations. I mean, Arya is experiencing a, a village that's under siege by the Brotherhood um, as they take on the Bloody Mummers, and who knows kind of what the state of that village is going to be after the Brotherhood departs. And here we have Bran, who comes upon this village that has been deserted, they say, for years, um, but it's because of a 
different group of people, but really for the same reasoning, right? The wildlings come over the wall and they do things not dissimilar from what the bloody mummers do. And so, uh, you know, both of them are in similar situations, one who is experiencing it in the moment, the other who is just kind of recalling history. So it just shows that uh, history repeats itself. It does. I, I wonder, though, um, still talking about the gift uh, for a moment, I wonder what sustenance and support means for the Night's Watch. Like, if they could grow crops on this land, then sure, I can see how this would help with their sustenance, but I don't know how, like, else it could be supporting them to give them land because their duty, like their sentry space or these 19, you know, or 17 towers on along the wall, just like what purpose would men of the watch have with this land? I mean, they're not allowed to take families and raise and like build houses. I assume it's so they can like go forage uh, and like hunt. Hunting north of the wall is kind of dangerous. So maybe mm. you give them land south of the wall and they can they can go kill deer and Yeah, maybe plant most food. of this is like trees. Oh, yeah, there are deer near here. We know that because summer gets some. And it's a great wildlife preserve as well. <laughs> Think of without their numbers being so great at this time and with all the different castles along the wall that there would be, I think, a, a great variety of, of activities that they would be getting up to as well as the things that they were staffed for north of the wall. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the Night's Watch was back then what it is today in the sense that Think about the people who compose the Night's Watch today and think about maybe back then there was a little bit more to it. It was like a little bit more of like a proud calling. Yeah. So support could be the people who live there could have, you know, supported them by maybe they raised their children to eventually take part in the Night's Watch, Mm -hmm. at least their sons. Right. And I could be off base here, but I think there was a different aspect to it back then um, in terms of this, this honor in in defending the wall and protecting the people south of it from whatever lay behind it you know and, so, and now it's just like oh that's happening to your village well don't live so close to the wall like, right those people have moved south even more where we're preparing for war at the moment exactly so this chapter has bran and his companions his brave companions his brave companions <laughs> <laughs> uh, his brave and uh aqua um file or they're competent in water is what i want to say i really liked how a story from old nan finally came to uh have some relevance because normally normally she's full of shit (laughs) well we don't know that for sure there's she she tells of stories of things beyond the wall and clearly they still exist back there so maybe she's not uh as crazy as people made her out to be but a fan of old nan i I was kind of disappointed uh that they didn't do this in the show right uh, the the whole transversing the water to get to the yeah the crazy causeway yeah they're like the causeway yeah. the causeway super cool I want like a video game level of the causeway I know me like, too it's super fun it's like we're chest deep you better not go off path so they don't say this in the chapter but the name of this building is called the Queen's Crown um and they do talk about how Queen Alison stayed there on her way to visit the wall mm. and what I like is that. They they paint this this beautiful picture of the top floor, which is where they end up staying in the book. I think they stay closer to the bottom um, in the show, but they they go to the top floor and it's this this big open room with three balconies and a privy, um, and the balcony the the giant giant archways that open up onto the balconies. And I like the mental picture quite a bit of this this queen riding on her dragon. And like landing on these balconies and and being able to just she didn't have to bother with the murder hole or the or the stairs or anything. She <laughs> Which just door to take she up. just get get dropped off by her dragon right <clears throat> right there on the balconies and then take off again. Super cool. What a different time. You know, it is a different time. Just yeah. a different time. We've, we're, we're dealing with all these lecherous men just <laughs> pillaging the countryside. Meanwhile, Rich, like. Work in your farm and like you see a, a shadow pass over you and you look up and there's this giant dragon flying overhead and it doesn't fill you with dread you're like oh there's the queen you bow to the queen for Yay! giving you such a wonderful kingdom to live in that's governed yeah. so well with bountiful harvest and oh i guess so uh, i i looked up some some stuff about good queen alisan because she's fascinating to me for some reason and she is she's awesome she's not she's not a secret jerk like i implied earlier she has <laughs> she was the one she convinced her brother husband um who was a jaharis Targaryen to give he abolished the um the old rule of the the lord's right to the first knight 
which is that they got to have sex with the bride on her wedding night before her husband did. Right. Oh. So yeah, so that was that was like a whole rule that the realm had, and she got her husband to be like, "Hey, you know what? I think that's gross." Can we not do that anymore? And he was Can like, yeah, you know that what? That's gross. That's one of the more selfish yeah. laws ever yeah, made. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the worst. <laughs> so she did that and, and she also expanded the gift and she was very well loved by the people. So she sounds pretty solid. Hmm. Well, at least this tower was constructed for her. I like that. I, I don't know if it was constructed for her, but they painted they painted the top of it gold in her honor um, after oh. she stayed there. Well, at least this tower was remodeled for her. Let's it say. was. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was, she sounds like a, a pretty cool lady. Yeah. I'm glad it's anyway. giving our friends a little bit of support here. They decide that when they come upon this village, staying near the rotten apples is not really an option. And I thought maybe the apples aren't too wormy. It depends on how hungry you guys are. But they've got brand wormy working into summer. So mm-hmm. they're a little spoiled when it comes to the hunting capabilities because we know how proficient Mira is with her frog spear and how wonderful Jojen is with telling them all what to do. So it's just <laughs> it's work, it's worked out. It's worked out. So when they see yeah. this they see this tower, why not find this place to stay before the night becomes too dark and stormy? I feel like we discussed this scene quite a bit um when it was in the show um because i I think unless unless i'm i'm just like hallucinating having been on the (laughs) podcast to that point but um when bran works into hodor there's like he's crossing an ethical line and yeah Mm -hmm. it's 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 just as like he he barely does it even for a second in in the book he's just like he's in and out yeah because he's like well i don't i didn't mean to do that but it does calm hodor down um, and so he's, I, I think Mira's like, dude, what did you do? What, mm-hmm. yeah, what did you do? We're talking about season three, right? At this point, because the mm. season ends at least kind of, cause John's storyline ties into all this, but with John arriving back at Castle Black, having been wounded. Uh, and so, yeah, we did, we did actually spend, um, probably, couple of episodes here and there talking about sort of the ethical line of warging into another human being yeah. and is that really um morally justified even if you're trying to do what's right oh you know uh, we talked about it when he does it again at uh at craster's that's as well. that's what i was realizing yeah he does it, which is totally manufactured for the show that 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 encounter doesn't doesn't happen um in in the books at all so they're they're kind of like driving home i think this ethical gray area that Bran has entered, but this is his first, his first like taste into working right. into another human. We're seeing it for the first right. time. Right. He goes, yeah. I, I love how it's described in the book because he goes from reaching for Hodor, who's just running past him. He goes from reaching with his arms to reaching with his mind. Uh-huh. And it's kind of just like out of this desperation for not alerting the man or the men who are in the village to where they are that he just desperately needs Hodor to shut up. And so from reaching to reaching with his mind, all of a sudden, He's in, but as soon as he's in, he's out. And Mira knows something's up, but it's, and so does everybody else, because Hodor has shut up and, you know, is now sitting cross-legged, hung, humming to himself. But Bran didn't expect it, and it's kind of, it's really interesting to see Bran do this when he's not trying to do this. But again, it's out of necessity. It's just kind of like that sense kicks in, and you can, you can do this. And he wasn't thinking about the repercussions, but it's just like, we can we can all agree that it was something that needed to happen. Yeah. Um, although Definitely. although it may have happened too late. It's t- it's still I think it's the beginning of a valuable set of lessons that Bran has to learn as someone who can take over do the that. body of another living creature. Eventually, he's going to have to confront the fact that he can do that to a person, and uh, that's pretty messed up. The peril in this chapter was set up so interestingly. We have just the ominous rider, the one rider coming into the village that begins to strike a flame. And then we have the storm rolling in that we learn for some reason has driven Hodor, who has been so resolute in many different situations, drives him to this kind of madness. He's sprinting mm-hmm. around their their vaulted and arched uh, sitting room essentially just yelling his name over and over again in different ways. While we know that there is a man that is camped out in the village. Now, when with a man so close by to such a company, they're less afraid of their safety and more afraid of what this man can do when it comes to alerting the host that he could be attached to as to their presence. And so for that, I was curious as to, 
okay, well, how do they plan to get this guy quiet? How do they plan to leave the tower the next day if the guy ends up staying and if he does end up having friends? I thought the use of the storm to show us that there were more people there. I think it was Jojen who was like, no, there's more people. I saw them as the lightning yeah. struck. I was able to see X amount more people there and X amount of fires that were lit. It's just kind of like a, a mini little scary story written into this small chapter that leads to Bran's necessity of warging, which I thought was kind of like the perfect circumstance for us to get used to him doing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely a scary situation because it, think about if they just decided to camp out in the town. Like Bran even says at one point, like he would have loved to have stayed, was it at an inn or, or some like rundown building mm. instead of you know, crossing the water and going up into this tower uh, and think about what the result of that could potentially be. If, if he would have stayed there, right. uh, it could have been disastrous. And, you know, we'll find out in the next chapter, you know, who the one person was that we saw kind of at the beginning and then who these other people are that show up. But, uh, you know, if people will, I'm sure, remember from the show, fans will remember from the show, how this all plays itself out, but Bran is clearly they're at such a distance. That's that's the thing that, uh, or or maybe in my mind, for Hodor even to be yelling the way that he is, you know, there's thunder. Who's really going to hear him at the end of the day? I mean, yeah. they're out in the middle of the water somewhere, up very very high, and in my mind, these these people are not in any way going to be able to hear somebody, uh, even for as loud as Hodor may be. So I think the way that they painted the picture in the show was far more effective because well, they were right outside. They yeah. were right outside of almost like a makeshift windmill. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just found it to be a little bit unrealistic that unless they have like these super, uh, you know, acute sense of hearing, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that they would know that somebody is up there. I think that we're meant to know that these are that these are capable people that are kind of always on the lookout and are kind of always watching their back and marrying that with the knowledge that Hodor is so large and quite possibly has a very loud shout and with Bran also shouting back and with Hodor beginning to like knock into things and and, and just use up way more space than he should in the place that they were staying. I think that that was was probably what what built up some of that anticipation, but I think you're right that the way that it was set up in the show, just logistically, geographically speaking, there was a lot more, uh, a lot more nervousness there than, than it would be here. Like you could happen to see in those moments of lightning flashing, somebody up in the tower, you know, like Jojen is able to see them down, kind of on the shoreline. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, maybe, but realistically, like if they happen to see some seven foot person screaming or just his reflection through the lightning i mean maybe it's just the ghost of the queen's crown or something like that <laughs> right. you know what I mean? something, something not to be investigated the nobody's that expecting they... that brandon stark heir to winterfell is holed up there no but sure. but this is but their their fear and their terror is real i mean when they when it is when it is just the one guy and bran i think wants to make a fire but they can't because who is that one guy it's just such a big deal who is that one guy who will he turn us over to who will he sell us out for one man cannot be controlled and that's juxtaposed with brand's ability to actually control people Mm -hmm. which he just discovers but 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 it is not competent enough to wield at somebody else um it's it's interesting because i don't know how this is going to play out um I know from watching the show, but I, I don't really know the books. And and seeing that, I mean, I just think that Bran's ability to warg into people would be very useful for whoever is coming their way, because I have a feeling that the people who are coming their way are not on their side. Hey, can we talk about also Hodor for a second here? I mean, his reaction, is is it tied in any way to his past? I think it's got to be, right? He picks up a sword. You know, at, at one moment to try and fight the storm and the fact that he has this mm. and, and it's probably been mentioned maybe all the way back in the first book some old man may have mentioned it about how he really doesn't like thunderstorms mm-hmm. so you know I, I think back to a place that has a lot of thunderstorms at least we've heard about them um, one being Dragonstone uh, 
So I, I just wonder what his history is, you know, like what, what is, who is he and why, why does he react this way? Is that not revealed in the uh, Worlds of Westeros uh, book by George R. R. Martin that he no, just put out? No, it is not. Oh, I think Hodor's family tree. Yeah. Uh, Hodor is a big secret in this yeah. series, and it, you know, maybe he is just a a stable boy that uh, got knocked in the head during a storm. Yeah, but knowing the the way that George writes his characters, there's definitely something more to him. Oh yeah. Give us it's clear that there's something here with him and, and, and the relation to the thunder. So what is what is our pet theory when it comes to Hodor's lineage? Oh man. I've thought about this a bunch. I wanna know I, I wanna have know no if he's, theories. Uh, yeah, I don't really either. I wanna know if he's not from Westeros, how did he get to West or Winterfell? If he's not I wanna know if he's not from Winterfell, how did he get to Winterfell? And become you know, be under was it old? Was Nan looking after him? He was a stable boy in Winterfell. Through that, you could ask the question: Who is old Nan? Yeah, definitely. I mean, she's, is, is she somebody that we should be paying closer attention to, knowing that she is the one who has the most direct tie to him? Maybe she brought him to Winterfell, but is she somebody who just tells Bran stories at night? Is she Miri Mazder's sister? <laughs> I don't know. I'm speculating. This this is stuff I can speculate on too. So I'm. Yeah. I'm interested. Right. You know what was all, what also I just love um about this is when they're up on the the top floor they talk about how different the world looks um because they just don't have tall buildings like this in Westeros a whole lot and I really liked that tiny little discussion. Mira I have it right here the quote. Uh Mira spun in a circle. I feel almost a giant standing high above the world. Uh, Jojen says there are trees in the neck that stand twice as tall as this. And she says, aye, but they have other trees around them just as high. The world presses close in the neck, and this guy is so much smaller. Here, feel that wind, brother, and look how large the world has grown. It's it, important to remember that they're still kind of kids who will delight in a slightly higher view of the world than they're used to, or a slightly further view, even though they can't see the wall, so they still have a ways to go. And just a reminder to our listeners, you do not need to be a kid to delight in similar things. I recommend that yeah. you delight in all things. <laughs> Good point, Zach. I agree with that. Yeah. It's poetic, though, that they're able to share this moment with each other in the midst of all that's happening. And, and at least right now, and from their last chapter, things have been things have been kind of smooth sailing for this company, mm-hmm. which is interesting when you compare it to the other people that are traveling in, in sort of similar areas, how difficult it's been for them, whereas... We have a member of our company here that can't even walk, and it's been, for the most part, pretty smooth sailing. Until the next chapter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, one other thing I did want to bring up, though, and this ties into Jojen and his being called basically a grandfather and how he approaches things, is that he's telling Bran, after Bran asks about what they're going to do once they get to the wall, oh, you know, you can't go see your brother John. You can't go see your uncle Benjamin. Like, we're going to... F- try and find another castle along the wall that we can basically get through mm. as opposed to uh you know finding your finding our way to the night's watch and uh if i were bran i don't know that i would be on board with this like it's questionable there's he's right? so right though he's so absolutely wise and right because anybody that bran has that's a friend at the wall is simply we know this not there for all we know, Carl Fucantaner could be manning the wall and eating all the children that show up. So there's no, there's there's no flaw <laughs> yeah, in, in, in Jojen's. That's a good uh, point. A hearty appetite. However, if the tunnels are all sealed, the ones that go through the wall, I do want to know how the hell they're going to get over it. There's always a way. Yeah, but that's like My a pretty precious. big question for me. I mean, maybe Bran can just use the eagles. If you can't go <laughs> over it and you can't go through it, you, must you have to go under. under it. This reminds me so much of the ring going south in Lord of the Rings. When the Fellowship parts and Frodo and Sam are, are tasked with crossing into the Forbidden Lands alone. And they can't really go by any justifiable path because they would be thwarted at any real entrance into their crossing. So they're not trusting people that they could trust, like the the same men of Gondor that could be their friends 
are going to have their own agenda and their own methods mm-hmm. pertaining to what they think they should do in their quest rather than leaving them be. And that's kind of the same thing that's happening here. Right. They feel like, sure, they could be met with not too much opposition at the wall, but even if they were treated friendly, they could just be kept there against their will because, oh, you're kids and you don't really have that much of a decision. So as adults, we're going to take responsibility for you. Mm-hmm. I think that Josen's right in this. It's going to be the harder trail, but it's going to be the trail that is likely for them to actually be able to go through with their plan. Yeah. And then this chapter uh, comes to an end with Bran working back into summer and uh, it'll lead into the next chapter. Right. Mm-hmm. But it seems like uh, the wolf is on the prowl mm, with a sharp red <laughs> stench of fear. It's an abrupt ending. I thought that my ebook was cut off or something. I was, I kept <laughs> flipping back and forth. I was like, that's it. That's it. But it does, it does lead directly, which one of, one of our listeners was like, maybe you guys should do the Brandon John chapters together. Um, because they are, they're very, very closely linked. Such a tease, such a tease. <laughs> Mike, uh, don't tell guys, can, can we give some owns? Yes. Let's yeah, do it. This is a good time. First for Aria. Yeah. Aria, 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 Aria. I'm not going to actually give my own to this, but I just thought it was worth mentioning that I was mentioned in this chapter. I figured Michael, Micah, Michael Bolt, I figured Micah was at home and he was very excited. You probably like giggled out loud. And the thought of you giggling made me giggle. And Kate also giggled. And Eric, I'm pretty sure you giggled. So yeah, I giggled. Job well done. I'll give my own then. Give it. Okay. My own goes to Lem, who says to the hound, your lion friends ride into some village, take all the food and every coin they find, and call it foraging. The wolves as well, so why not us? No one robbed you, dog. You just been good and foraged. cloak. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I would like to give my own to Gendry, who knows when a good deal is in front of him. Sir Gendry. Yes, yeah, Sir Gendry of, of what, High Hill? Hollow Hill. I feel like he very smartly knew... Uh, when he found a band of brothers that he liked and he wasn't afraid, you know, consequences be damned leaving Arya, but um, he found a place for himself and he knows that he can do some good here. He wasn't hasty with this decision either. He like was with him for a while. He thought, yeah, he thought it out. Thought he saw there. all the trials. He, he, he appealed to them. He asked to be, you know, to join and, and they said, yeah, we, we have a use for you. We can do this. And then he got himself knighted. So mm-hmm. good for him. My own goes to the Hound for just walking into their camp after had just fighting a battle the night before and just yelling about his money that they took. <laughs> and replaced with even, an IOU. He doesn't even care. He, he literally, he's like, I've wiped my ass with this IOU. He's like, what is this shit? He was not happy. He, he was just like, guys, this is bullshit. And they were like, dude, leave. We don't like you. My own goes to the Septons, the, the eight septons who survived the the cleansing of the bloody mummers because they um they cut down all of the victims of hanging everyone every one of the mummers that was hanged the next day they cut them all down except for septon ut who they clearly had a great deal of personal disdain for and they buried them all in shallow graves even though they were dickheads who were murdering and stealing from them that was very sweet very sweet mm-hmm. that's kind of a morbid own kate i know it's kind of a morbid chapter is it? it was it was a bit morbid brand chapter we may agree on this uh my own is going towards old nan for her storytelling and brand for remembering them and figuring out how to use the causeway to get to the tower it's very particular memory as well so good on you old nan they found a uh, shelter there and they were looking for shelter from the storm so thanks old man thank you wonder what else you've told us that has would will turn out to be super useful yeah gotta go back and check out her stories i'll read uh, those sounds fun my own <laughs> let's see it's gotta go to bran and <laughs> here's why like in this chapter there's 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 some things you could definitely give that would be own worthy but Brand just had one comment that as soon as he said it, I highlighted it and I was like, that's my own. I love those. Those are the best. And the reason why is because it's so it's it's not even relevant to what's happening at in the in the chapter. Um, you know, he he's um he's reacting to something that Jojen says to him. Um and he's talking about not being afraid, right? 
And he's, he was the Prince of Winterfell, Eddard Stark's son, almost a man grown, and a war too. And then he says, not some little baby boy like Rickon. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> way to shit on your brother. <laughs> he shits on Rickon a lot. <laughs> oh, I'm like, out of left field, he just craps all over his baby brother. Yeah, well, I'm the sibling rivalry for you, That's even though their, their family the is like torn like, apart. Wasn't Rickon like... Sh- throwing his fist down at the table, cracking nuts or something while Bran was trying to hold court. I mean, I don't blame him yeah, in the still, show. Still but that's my own for this chapter. That's yeah, a good own. I like that. <laughs> I don't want to fall down. I think my own is going to go to Queen Alison. Yeah. She did expand the gift, which may have been fairly inconvenient, but she also <laughs> abolished the Lord's right of first night. So that's yeah. pretty awesome. That's pretty own worthy. Good job. Yeah. And she had a dragon and she rode around on it. Yeah. That's pretty she cool. Rules. That's pretty own worthy. She does roll. And they remodeled a tower in her honor after she visited it one yeah. time. <laughs> she left such an impression. I'm going to give my own in the chapter to the strange and mysterious man. I just thought he, he integrated such an element of mystery into this chapter. I just thought it was unique and it stood out and I enjoyed it. It was a nice bit of literature within this book it was different and fun and he may be someone that is not cool but for the time being he put an interesting spin onto what we were reading he's good for your entertainment is that what you're saying you're like, yeah oh, okay what matters is that zach's entertained yeah okay i hope that cool. they're safe though and i hope that he's not so <laughs> terrible and i hope that no one is is mad that i picked him for my own <laughs> I'm no. super mad good i'm glad it wasn't we're so good. pissed at you good. We have some listener owns, don't we? We do. Uh, uh, we got a a bunch on uh, Facebook. The first from uh, Christina. Christina. Mm-hmm. She says, "Own to Beric Dondarrion's dubbing of Sir Gendry, Knight of the Hollow Hill, gives me chills, but a simultaneous disown to people in Arya's <laughs> life dying or leaving her behind, and we know from the show that this is just the beginning." For her sniffles. Aww. But on a jollier note. Do it. Oh, I don't know do if it. I do can it. do this. Do it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot of O's. I got it. We can, oh, we can do it. Best Hodor chapter that's ever good. so far. What a wonderfully wide emotional range of Hodors. <laughs> Plus, <laughs> Bran so easily slipping out of his boy skin cloak to stop the Hodoring opens a whole new realm of possibility for his powers. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. did own Hodor in this chapter. Yeah, literally. Uh, Kim Wait. on Facebook says, Arya, Owen goes to the poetic barrack for this line. It all fades. Sometimes I think I was born on the bloody grass of that grove of ash with the taste of fire in my mouth and a hole in my chest. And the following line adds a bit of comedy. <laughs> Are you my mother, Thoros? I, I didn't. That. I did not <laughs> interpret that as comedy. I thought it was very sad. Like, oh, no. he's just like, I don't know anything about where I come from. You may as well oh. be my mother because you're the first thing I see whenever I come back to life. I just think uh, of that children's book, Are You My Mother? I did <laughs> too. The, yeah. yeah. As Bran, Bran Owen goes to the repeated Hodors, always enjoy Christian Nerd's interpretation of that character and his lines. Or line, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I, Christian would say lines, but yeah. There's so many different emotional ranges <laughs> yes. of Hodors I've learned. It's Jared Cozal writes into us. He says, Own to Sandor Clegane, who would kill us all and gladly, but not in our sleep. Right or wrong, a man's <laughs> got to have a code, and the hound That's does. Right. Putting foot and his soon-to-be new bunghole can think they're lucky stars. That's true. I forgot he was going to get that a new one fashioned. For Brand's chapter, he says, Own to Brand for remembering the existence of the causeway from Old Nan's stories. If those new arrivals camped out on the shore of the lake are as friendly as they sound, he may have saved everyone's lives. Also, no more stupid hodering. Harsh, but in this particular situation, fair. I agree. Very fair. Yeah. Very fair indeed. And uh, also from Pamela C, who says, Sir Gendry's integrity owns his destiny. Better free in the Brotherhood, unknowingly loyal to his father, than a slave in an immoral, a slave to an immoral lord. Agreed. And Bran own, Bran owns his fear. Quote, a prince, almost a man, and a ward, not a baby. There goes innocence. Oh, Love goo. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we also got some owns on Twitter. Tweets. The first from Ramdent, Ramdent. who says, uh, "Own to Queen Alizan for flying to the wall on a dragon." Yes, Kate, you and Ram on the same page mm-hmm, as usual. And then said, "Own to Arya slash Maisie Williams. Could you bring back a man without a head?" 
just the once, not six times. Aww. That's a sad, sad face. Look at it. Yeah. At Scheming Sailor on Twitter says, my first ever own goes to hey. Lord Beric Dondarrion for owning death six times. I wonder where he hid all those horcruxes. Okay, a little applause. <laughs> that. That well done, well done. Well done. Well done. You know, you'll, you'll fit right in here, Scheming Sailor. <laughs> We've also received a follow-up tweet here from Phyllis Ashley. Um, I believe, if I'm correct here, guys, did I not make her mother start hating her last week for the uh, package <laughs> yeah. that was sent? Because you sent yes. them glitter. Sorry about your mom, Phyllis. Phyllis says, Eric, spot on impression of my mom. Kate, <laughs> we talk like that to each other all the time. It's cool. I was so relieved. <laughs> oh, Just perfect. I didn't want to like destroy a healthy mother-daughter relationship because Zach sent somebody some glitter. Janice Tillery sent us a link to this website slash service, which is slip, uh, ship your enemies glitter. Have we not been sent this link by like 30 or 40 different people? A lot people of people, yeah. A lot of people. <laughs> Janice was just a lucky person that uh, we picked to read her tweet. But yeah, a couple of different people tweeted in as well as posted on our Facebook wall about this. So Glitter as a weapon. I sent my glitter out of love, not hate. I hope that you enjoyed <laughs> It's yeah. a good thing we don't have like a P.O. box or something because I have a feeling <laughs> we oh, get a lot of glitter. It is a good thing. Got to watch out at our next live show. <laughs> and then uh, finally, we got a tweet from Jen Wyman who says, uh, "Mini Arya and I are excited for this week's Game of Owns chapters." And uh, she posted a picture of a Funko figure of Arya standing on top of the Arya chapter. Um, that's a, yeah, that's I like I like this Arya uh, figure. Her little she's, she has a little needle. Tiny little Just needle tiny little she's needle. holding. Are you are you big into the Funko figures? I have a few of them. I got some recently, but I, I want to know. Every, does everybody every, here have at least one? Zero. Tyrion and Daenerys have the zero ones from Funko. the live show that I took into the swimming pool and the hot tub. <laughs> oh, Joffrey, right? And uh, jo- is it Jon Snow? Uh, Joffrey it? and Jamie, his dad. So, Joffrey and Jamie. Yeah. yeah. They play catch with each other. Um, <laughs> I have... Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, now I lost my thought. Uh I I actually got I got Drogon and Ghost. Oh, not too bad. Do you have the first? Got to add it. Got to add into the little a little of the uh, Fantastic Beasts, right? I yeah. definitely want the little Ghost Funko. The little pet. Yeah. Some free free advertising for Funko here. But no, I don't I don't own any of them. Um, I'm not much of a toy collector. Yeah, and I then, just thought they'd look cool, and then I just still yeah, I have thought they'd look cool too. And then they're just sitting on my bookshelf. Also got John and uh, a White Walker who are. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Daenerys? Yes, Daenerys. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, John and the White Walker, we'll call him Bob, are uh, just awkwardly staring at each other uh, on the bookshelf. So like yeah. But uh, look at this, guys. We have an email from our famous emailer Nick Hartley. Oh, Nick Hartley. Yeah. Who does not so? He does not so. I'll read it. Nick Hartley. Starts with Arya and says uh, his own goes to Beric. Uh, if he wanted to, he could be every bit as rigid as Stannis when it comes to the Lord of Light, but he's not. The war is hard enough on the people of Westeros without trying to force them to change their religion as well. It's funny that unlike Stannis, he knows for a fact that Rollar is real. He has been on the receiving end of actual miracles, yet he doesn't disrespect the worship of the Seven. Melisandre and Stannis could stand to take a lesson from Thoros and Beric. Just because someone doesn't convert doesn't mean they are no longer loyal and should be torched on a beach. That's a good life lesson. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, his own for Bran goes to Old Nan and Maester Lewin for imparting Bran with knowledge from books and folklore. I'm sure it seemed at the time like these lessons and stories were a waste of his time, but he would have been wrong. I think a lot of the time, Bran feels both helpless and useless. It's always nice to see those rare moments when he gets to contribute to their journey north. Nick Hartley does not so. Nick Hartley, is is he saying that he's an advocate for Bran warging into Hodor? Mm. I think he was speaking of the causeway. uh, Oh, the the causeway for sure. Yeah, that was that was just badassery on Bran's part. Good memory. Yeah. I'm just curious um, because I I do think that Bran probably saved their bacon by making Hodor shut up, but it's it's a it's an ethically questionable move on Bran's part. So yeah. Nick, write in and I'm let sure us know. Email us. Don't say though. Contact 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 you think we're talking about And to those of you other folks listening that may have opinion on the matter, let us know as well. It's still kind of a gray area. 
the way it slipped mm-hmm. into us in the lore here. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. So in, in addition to the email, as you, you can obviously find us on Facebook and Twitter, Game of Owns and at Game of Owns. It's pretty straightforward, pretty easy. We don't make things too difficult here. You can also find us on iTunes, which may or may not be the way in which you uh, were able to listen to the show. You know, it is the month of January. It is. Right? Not for much longer, unfortunately. Not for much longer, yeah. The month has flown by already, which just means we're closer to season five. Yeah. 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 Are people, is it cool if people give us four stars on iTunes in the month of January? No, we're going into season five. five. Needs to be five stars. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. And there's actually a good story here. Um, Kate, you had read a review, I believe. Was it the last episode or two episodes ago? I can't remember. A couple episodes ago, yeah. I was confounded by it because it was a very positive review, but it gave us like two stars. Yeah, which didn't make any sense. So we heard from Angeline Irene, who uh, gave us a five star review and said, Great show. Uh, hey guys, this is at Lucky Gyro from Twitter again. Sorry for the mix up, and you know I meant to give you five stars. You all rock and keep doing what you do. <laughs> Any Game of Thrones fan should give this podcast a try, and you'll find a great way to fill the gaps between the seasons and or books. So thank you, Angeline Irene. Slash Lucky Gyro. But uh, there's more to the story, thank isn't you. there, Kate? Um, so Lucky Gyro used his wife's account on itunes to give us a review and he hit he hit the wrong stars number so we called out angelina irene on the last episode um with trying to probe into why this review had two stars and uh lucky gyro contacted me on twitter which i assume his wife was like yo (laughs) you gotta fix this fix this relationship (laughs) um or maybe he just heard us call out his wife and he was like "Uh oh oh no Uh, geez um so Bonus to Lucky Gyro for going in and giving us an updated review. Thank you for doing that. Thanks, buddy. It means a lot to us. And to the rest don't of the folks. Don't fuck it up next time. I'm just kidding. You're, the, you're the best. But don't. I haven't dropped an F-bomb this whole episode. So there are people like poised over their bingo cards. Ah, they're like, they got their dollars oh, out. They're that, like, yes. I need that square. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so next week we have a John chapter, which is um, almost, I think, like, it's it's sort of in, in tandem to the, the brand chapter that precedes it. I think I think the timing it doesn't it doesn't quite pick up where Bran left off. It's kind of in the middle of that chapter, but they're very they're very closely tied. And uh, then we have a Daenerys chapter. Bring it I on! Haven't seen her in a while. That's, That's what true. I say. We had a, we had a big moment with Daenerys, and then and then we don't know we don't know what's happened since then. So these are going to be two terrific chapters. Please read along with us. We're looking forward to you guys joining us on our podcast. Did you have a good time today? I did. I certainly did. I did Me too. too.